0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for
1: exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new
0: ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everyone, this is Johnny. Welcome back to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. I'm here with Sam, and we have on Dan Norris today, who is the owner of Black Hops Brewery. And Sam uh, is an investor. Uh, c- can you tell us a little bit about the actual the company?
1: So Black Hops, as Johnny said, is a, a brewery in Australia and is found or co-founded by one of my buddies, Dan Norris, who we'll be talking to on this episode. And the main reason I wanted to have him on the call was... He's done so many things as an entrepreneur um, over the last decade, and now decided he wants to fa- uh, to co-found Black Ops, and I just happened to be talking to him around that time, and um, kind of made a match and decided to invest in in Black Ops. So in the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about you know how he founded it, how they came up with valuation, and. And um, you know, raising money and the the intricacies involved.
0: Well, what I really like about uh, about a kind of Dan's story and him starting the brewery is he is a you know serial entrepreneur. Uh, he makes a lot of money through his site uh, WP Curve, which is a, a a membership site where you can get access to to WordPress developers. So if you have any mm-hmm. you know issues with your um, with your website. You, know, you just you you, you know you're already a member. You go through them, and what's what's cool about that is the fact that he isn't investing in kind of traditional stocks or bonds or you know any of the other kind of methods. He invests in himself, and mm-hmm. I think that's Absolutely. really like a cool thing about entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I would say on on the the other side of that as well is is investing in small businesses becoming much more easy. And and this is, these are all the things that that you and I are talking about on the podcast. And instead of investing in in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. I think almost everybody in the world right now that is between the ages of age of 18 and 35 knows somebody that's starting a business. It might not be a brewery. It might not be a tech startup, but there are so many people in the world starting businesses. And it's. I think it's important to keep your eyes open to these types of opportunities because they're not as complicated to get involved with as someone may think. Once you've been through it once, um, it's a pretty simple process. So I would just encourage everyone, as you can uh, you'll you hear in this episode, just to, to keep your eyes open and look for good opportunities in small businesses.
0: Well, one cool thing about that is the potential ROI. So, mm-hmm. with an investment, a really good ROI would be you know a, like a ten percent return annually. Uh, mm-hmm. What's cool about investing in a small business is even though there's a lot of risk, you know, that the business might not ever take off, you know, maybe it will never become profitable, but the flip side of it is it be- might become, you know, ne- the next huge brand and, and, you know, your ROI might be much, much more than than 10% a year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and all the different types of small businesses are, are going to be different. What was attractive to me with this as compared to start to investing in, say, a uh, an, an, a digital uh, tech startup, you have the initial capital of this business going into building facilities and actually building the brewery. So as soon as that's complete, you have an actual asset that can start generating cash, like you said. So it, it is a lot less risky, in my opinion, than investing in a more of a technical startup. Uh, I think that the upside is potentially Capped more, but at the same time, you're you're getting involved in, with a really cool brand, and at a very minimum, you're going to get free beer out of it.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask <laughs> how how much of your investment was just the fact that it'd be cool to be an investor in a craft beer company. <laughs> uh, I would say a
1: large reason, a large part of the reason I invested was because of that, and I, I really like Dan, and I just think it was a really cool opportunity. But unfortunately, because I'm not in Australia, I will. Likely only get a few beers every single year when I make my trip down, but hopefully if Black Hops goes international or at least gets to Asia, then I can uh, I can tap them for a few more.
0: One thing I like about this investment is, it, to me, it was kind of a, a no-brainer because as he talks about, you know, um, he's going to talk about in the episode, they really MVP'd it. So they they figured out, you know how can we start brewing this beer how can we start selling it before we invest a lot of money into kind of building our own uh, brewery and have this infrastructure you know is there a way that we can kind of start the process start selling it make sure there's an audience for it before we get into that and you know when you know once they kind of proved that it was kind of a I would almost think you know it's a no-brainer for you to see like okay well you know if they've already made it successful even without building uh anything yet by us kind of you know building it we're just scaling up existing success
1: yeah that's a really really good point um and what do you think about what do you think Johnny you you have you made any private investments or is would this type of thing be interesting to you now or at a, a short term future
0: yeah I mean I, I don't think I would ever put more than ten percent of my net worth into someone else's company, uh, just because mm-hmm. you, you you know, you don't have control over it. Um, unless you, you know you plan to be very active as and you know you're you're physically there, you're physically going through the process, then, then I would probably put more money in. But I mean for example, um, I had a, a friend who, who has a sunglasses company that I was I had talks with uh, to be an investor and the only reason why we ended up not doing it, it's just we couldn't decide an evaluation. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, in their mind, it was a million-dollar company already uh, because, you know, they had a great brand, they had a great mission, they have, you know, all this momentum going. And, you know, it could become a huge company, and I, and I do wish them the best of luck. Uh, but the reason why I didn't put my money down is because I kind of, I've watched too much Shark Tank, and I know not to pay for uh, this crazy big evaluation before they can kind of prove uh, the numbers on paper. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, but you know, I do believe in, in kind of investing in in people as well. So you know, if like with with Dan, you know, he's obviously a successful entrepreneur. Uh, you know, he's you know he has a, a book called The Seven Day Startup. Uh, he has WP Curve. He's you know he and what's cool is he invests in himself. You know, he takes all the money that he makes from his other businesses and he invests in uh, projects like this. So I can see it being successful because you know aside from the product you know you're investing in the person.
1: Yeah, and what you said about you not being comfortable in investing more than 10% of your worth in someone else's company, I asked Dan about that and that was that was generally in line with what his perspective was. He's so used to being an entre- entrepreneur and in control of things that he's not comfortable yet going down that other route of investing in other people's businesses. But w- one thing that I don't think a lot of people know about my investment in this company, it it wasn't a multi, you know, it wasn't a huge investment. It wasn't a a million dollar investment. It wasn't even a hundred thousand dollar investment. It was a type of money that anyone with a decent job could really save in a year or two if they wanted to. So it's a it's an investment option. The the hardest part with this investment is finding it. Finding somebody that and and of course coming up with a valuation like like you mentioned is sometimes a difficult part. But in terms of the actual money that I invested it's something that is within reach of just about anybody out there so I just think it's a really unique a uh, unique angle that everyone will have the opportunity if they to do if they keep their eyes open and try to make those contacts
0: yeah i like it so if you guys want to kind of follow along with the interview and you know see what they're actually talking about you can just check out the show notes of invest like a boss episode six uh and you can see you know we have a link to um his his wordpress site which is what he made his money from to be able to invest in this brewery and then you can also take a look at the actual brewery itself, uh, some of the photos of it, and you know, it really—it's it, a—it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, and they actually have their own podcast. The brewery, uh, Black Ops Brewery, has their own podcast. It's super interesting. Uh, I think they have seven or eight episodes now, and it's all about starting the the business, raising the money getting the supplies. It's super interesting for anyone who's interested in just learning how startups kind of get founded and, and get their wheels going, or especially with regards to brewing.
0: Yeah, so right before uh, we, we get into the episode, I really wanna give a big shout out to everyone who's taken the time to leave reviews of the podcast so far. Uh, we are gonna be doing a monthly drawing. Uh, we to be giving away a $25 Amazon gift card for people uh, who write a review on the iTunes store and send in a screenshot. So if you go to invest like a boss, Dot com And click on bonus, uh, you can have instructions on how to do that. Uh, so just real quick, um, big shout out to to Trevor, uh, to Freedom Podcasting, Anastasia, JL2010, uh, Tony, Trash uh, Trashboy, Miko, Alec2O, <laughs> Jason, and Ian's dad, Paul, and everyone else who's taking the time to, to be with the podcast so far. It, it means so much, uh, especially because we, we just launched and this is the best way for us to spread the word you know, hopefully get into the new and noteworthy section of the iTunes store so more, more people can find this podcast and and get the value that, you know, uh, that all these guests bring.
1: Yes. Double that. Thank you from Johnny. Anything else before we take it into Dan?
0: No, I, I think people should sit back, maybe crack open a, a nice craft beer if you guys have one and enjoy the show.
1: <laughs> Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you on.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. So we were just saying that um, we, we're starting the day with coffee. Normally, Johnny or I are drinking whiskey or wine, but given the, <laughs> the time frame that we're on, it's, we have to, I'm, I'm having a Starbucks latte right now.
2: Yeah, me too. Well, normally when I'm in this office recording podcasts, we've got a, a um, growler of beer from downstairs and we're all smashing beers and talking about breweries. So it's a bit of a change uh, for me too. Yeah, I
1: can't wait to come down and do that with you guys. <laughs> 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 so you're, down in, uh, you're in the Gold Coast right now.
2: Yeah, we're just so I've got an office above Black Ops, which is the I guess the, the business we'll talk about a bit on this. Um, brewery, brewery mm-hmm. where hopefully opening next week if if nothing else um f- nothing else breaks. <laughs> right. Um and then yeah, I've just got an office upstairs. It's sort of it's a bit of a vacant office at the moment, but I've got a couple of guys who come in and do work for me on other projects and I've got space mm-hmm. here to fill if people come visit or if I feel like hiring any more people.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, we'll have to get a photo of that of uh, your setup there. It looks pretty sweet for the for the podcast cover.
2: Yeah, I've, I've got a few images floating around um, of us recording podcasts in here. It's good. It's only a small office, but it's um, I've got three like decent podcasting mics, a little mixer, and um, yeah. it's just it's a, it's a, it's a good a fun way to do a podcast when you're in person because you can sort of just act like a normal person. And the podcasts tend to go for like you know twice or three times as long because you're just kind of sitting around talking.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Well, we'll do the best we can with you uh down down there in me in Singapore, but um anyways, man, it's you've become proficient in so many things from from content, an entrepreneur, author, and now a microbrewer, I guess. <laughs> and uh you seem to, to from the outside you invest a lot in back into yourself and into your own projects. Is that is that a pretty accurate statement?
2: Yeah, I think um so I guess I've been an entrepreneur for 10, actually 10 years now. In June, it'll be 10 years. Um, but for the first like seven years, you know, everything just went, everything was going shithouse and I had I never had any money, never made any money. Business wasn't good. Um, and then when I started WP Curve two years ago or two or three years ago, um, I sort of started, I, I guess I started making money and started having more interesting stories to tell and more interesting opportunities come my way. And, and I, I just haven't, haven't been able to turn any of them down because I, right. I don't know if that just comes with experience or I'm just actually incapable of saying no to ideas that really interest me but, but that's how it's gone.
1: Really interesting. So what, what, was the first, what was the first business that you actually started making money from? Was it?
2: Well, I mean, so I, I left my job in 2006. I started uh, building websites for people. Um, you know, I was making money but not much money. I don't think right. i ever, ever made as much as I worked when I was working for the government, which wasn't much to start with. Right. Um, but at
1: that at that point, you were you were officially like in business in yourself.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So I was. So I think the first year I made about 40 grand revenue, mm-hmm. um, and that revenue was virtually 100 percent profit. Um, the second year I probably made 100 grand revenue, and about 40 grand profit. <laughs> Um, and for the and next this... six, seven years, it was the same thing, more revenue, but the same amount of profit. Cause I just, it was just a shitty business that I couldn't work out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I, the, the, the really I only started making money when I launched WP curve and probably really a year into it because it's a subscription service. So it took quite mm-hmm. a while. Like we've got a thousand people on subscription now, but, um, it took about a year to get enough to kind of pay myself like a reasonable wage.
1: Wow. Yeah. And does that, does that continue to grow?
2: Uh, it's at the moment it's pretty stagnant. It's not shrinking but it's not really growing. We've got um I'm trying to work on a bunch of things to sort of improve what we do. Um and it it's actually we, we've got a like an ongoing challenge which is like with a subscription business th- there really needs to be something that keeps customers subscribed uh, other than just you doing a good job. So I mean we can improve the, the level of quality of the service but at the end of the day mm-hmm. It's just going to be an ongoing challenge for us, the fact that if if we fix a customer's website and they're on subscription and they no longer have any problems with their site, they're not really going to stick around. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think this, like, recurring part of the business will probably just remain reasonably stagnant. And, and, I mean, we're growing. Like, we're getting five or six people sign up a day, but then we're also getting a lot of churn. Yeah. Um, So I think we can help that a little bit, but I don't think it's a problem we can, like... I'm not really convinced yet it's a problem we can, like completely solve because I don't think that business is really like other subscription businesses like if you think of something yeah. like hosting you, like you're not going to leave your host unless unless they fuck up you're just, you're just not mm-hmm. going to leave because it's too much of a pain mm-hmm. yeah um, so we've got that challenge which means there's a lot of work to do on the service quality there's a lot of work to do on retention but then there's also so many other opportunities involved in like WordPress problems that don't sure. involve a monthly service that we've said no to for three years and I think we're going to start saying yes to some of those things
1: Really nice. And what about your your authoring career? How's the the publishing business going?
2: Yeah, well, that was that was another surprise. It was just because I started this business and and um, I did it in seven days, just which which it, it wasn't something I thought about at the time. Like it was just like fuck, I need to start a business because I'm about to run out of money. <laughs> um, and then it just kind of turned into a, a thing. Like I was never really, I still don't really regard myself as a writer. I think I think that would be a little bit offensive to people who've dedicated their life to being a good writer <laughs> i haven't really done anything to be a better writer um
1: that's amazing how much amazing how how many people have read the book and how much kind of like you know like everywhere in the startup community all these networks i go to i hear people talking about it i always see things on facebook people tagging you in these in these um Post about the book, and I think it's really inspired a lot of people, so that must be a great platform to to build off of for the future you know de- depending what you want to do, continue as an entrepreneur and, and growing your your own personal network
2: yeah it's just been an amazing surprise like I, I it's it's seven day startup in its own is a six figure a year business i I'm, I make mm-hmm. more money from that than I ever made with my last business and I mean all i'm really i mean and that's just from book sales I've got a membership um with about two hundred members in it. Um, mm-hmm. and again, literally just launched that in my community. I got the free Facebook group. I launched it in there, um, at the end of last year and, and I'm already up to 200 members. So it's, it's, and, and, and the other thing is, um, when, so people sell it overseas in, in different languages mm-hmm. and every time they do that, I get paid sometimes quite a lot for them to do that. Wow. So, um, what's,
1: what's, uh, what, what are some of the countries that it's been translated into and sold?
2: Um, Vietnam, Thailand, Korea, China, Poland, um, I've got I've got a couple it, here. I've got books here in different languages. I don't even know what fucking language they are. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good problem to have when you yeah. get to, when you get to that size, right? Yeah. Like North North Korea comes out with it, then uh, then you've really struck it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Korea actually was not North Korea, but Korea was the first people. They sent me an email and said, oh, I've heard about your book. I've not, got no idea how they heard about it." Um, and they said, yeah. oh, "I'd like to translate." And I kind of assumed it was spam and I ignored it. And um. Two weeks later, I was in the, the Dynamite Circle, which is a community that, that I, I met you through. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and um, I noticed a post from Derek who does like translation rights. He's got a business that's like a, a, a translation rights publishing agency. Yep. Um, and I'm like, oh, shit. So maybe that email I got is actually true. Like maybe people actually do. Because oh, I know nothing about publishing. Um, mm-hmm. And I contacted him and he just became my agent. I think he does like James Altucher and a bunch of other writers and yeah, um, yeah, and and he just he just kind of well actually his um, partner Marlene pretty much just sells it at book fairs and and um, yeah different countries buy it and publish it in a different language. It's kind of funny because you can't get it in English at a bookshop, but he, he can get it in Polish.
1: Jeez, my, are you still involved in the DC? By the way,
2: uh, only only just sort of. Um, you know, I, I know people who are members, and I'm a member. And I went, I went to the conference last year. I, I, I don't really go in the forum just because I, I'm just forums. Just as a technology, just don't work for me. I, I don't have the patience. Yeah. I don't think. But I'm still uh, in the so, group. Yeah,
1: so much, so much content. But you know what? The thing that I took away from from DC was like that first conference we went to and. In Bangkok, which I'm not, I think I went to the second one as well. I'm not sure if I met you at the first one or the second one, but no, I met you at the first you know, one, and and the, the,
2: the uh, third or fourth one, I think okay. I saw you at. But yeah, the first one was was turned out to be like a real uh, like incubator of, of different projects because the people have gone on to do lots of interesting stuff. who came to that event,
1: De- definitely, and 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 the the, the handful of, of great contacts you take away from that from like event like that, you know, they. I mean, I I have talked to them weekly. Um, and I've collaborated on so many different things. So there's definitely a lot of value, a lot of value, but I agree with the fact that like the, the forum and the the amount of content that is, was hitting my inbox at one time was just, it was overload.
2: Yeah. And I think you also sort of go through stages. Like when, like when I was, that community was amazing to me when I was just getting started and, and I just didn't, didn't have a name for myself. And Dan Andrews in particular, like he would like shout me out on the podcast every second week and he'd be mentioning everything I did. And, and my mm-hmm. business was literally launched in the, like WP Curve was launched in the DC. Um, so I, I owe so much to that group. But Absolutely. I, I, just, yeah. I guess these days I'm, I'm sort of, there's so much shit going on. I just don't, I just literally don't have any time to go into forums.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. Well, that was, well, that was also one of the the reasons that Johnny, I want to start this podcast because in these groups, you find so many people that are making, are starting to make it, right? They're starting to, to to make it on their own. They're just starting to get additional revenue that they're not really sure what to do. with. They're just putting it in banks. And every time we would talk to someone, we would find all of these new ideas for investments, right? Like 30 years ago, you would just, you know, you'd buy a a property or you'd buy stock in in one stock or maybe put it with a mutual fund or something. But everyone had like this new creative way to do, you know, peer to peer lending or they're doing managed forex trading or, or, (laughs) or, or, you know, investing in these small startups. And it became so interesting to figure out how do you find those opportunities and, and how do you maximize and leverage those opportunities? Right. So we just wanted to like be able to get so many different viewpoints and strategies and, and kind of, um, you know, connect everyone through these ideas on the podcast so
2: yeah i really good, want to a talk good about idea. this investing thing it's, it's such it's such a broad topic and i mean investing in startups is one thing but then then there's so much other stuff you can do it's, it's 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 kind of overwhelming i think
1: yeah and the game has really changed right it's definitely not the same type of stuff that we were doing our parents were doing so you've got you have black ops now which which i'm an investor in and, and so happy to be part of it because it's such an, an amazing interesting business right it's um Certainly a lot, a lot cooler than owning stock in Coca-cola <laughs> and I want to talk about that, but before we before we go into that, I just want to see, is is there any other type of investments that you've you've ever done ex- outside of your own projects and growing your own your own brand?
2: Not really I mean I've bought property before, but, but I kind of decided with property that it's I, I don't really like doing what everyone else is doing, and property like in Australia is one of those things where it's just like everyone who's got any spare money, buys property, and I, di- I didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also, I'm sort of on the fence about wh- whether I'm interested in investing in other people's businesses. I just don't, I just don't know. I think, I think maybe you get to a point where, like, you don't want to be an entrepreneur anymore, or, or, mm. or perhaps you don't want to be a full-time entrepreneur anymore, and, and that's when it makes sense to do that. But for me, like, I don't – that's not appealing to me yet. Um, right. I, I enjoy doing the work, and, and I enjoy having, like, 100% focus on my own projects. Um, mm-hmm. plus I've got four four different projects I'm working on and, and to take on anything else would be quite stupid I think.
1: Yeah well then, then uh, investing doing some type of passive investing and in if, you, if you knew a group of guys that you really liked that um, it, it's really hard to kind of disconnect yourself from the emotions of it right when you invest in a yeah. business you want you want it to do success be successful but inevitably you know statistically 85% of them aren't going to be successful so But it's it's also like
2: you—you almost like I I wouldn't necessarily want to be involved in something that I wasn't emotionally connected to, because at that, like, making money just is not that interesting to me. I know it sounds fucking stupid, but like, I'm—I'm not really in this to make money. I'm sort of just in it to like—I just enjoy starting businesses. Absolutely, Um, building things and
1: collaborating with people.
2: Yeah. So I—I kind of feel like you could probably answer this question, but I kind of feel like if you're investing in a bunch of startups, like. I worry that I'd feel like a bit of an outsider and not like actually be part of like the co-founding team.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Because you're an entrepreneur and I think once you're, in, once, you, once you're in that position, you're so used to building and developing things that when you turn to become an investor, it feels like you're not adding value. You're just putting money in. Yeah. But, you know, how, how we got in this position is, is hard work and, and using our brains, right? Yeah. So I I find that a lot like with with uh, some of the the small companies I've invested in, I'm almost too like touchy. Like I'm like. Can I help out with anything? Can I, you know, <laughs> and all their other investors are so they're you know these these hedge funds and and VC companies or like full time angel investors that they have a portfolio of you know a hundred plus companies and they're extremely passive and I'm always like, hey dude, <laughs> you know you want like you want to prove your value to the company and and help it grow yeah. and uh, and be part of the growth because that's 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 inherently what what's fun about being an entrepreneur.
2: I think it also depends on what you're investing in. Like I think if you're if you're doing like the you know like the Startup like full like high growth startup type stuff where where you're trying to find the next Uber or Airbnb or Dropbox or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of it's almost like a totally different thing. It's like you, you're you're chucking money at something that you know you'll probably lose, but then you might just make an absolute shitload of money at the end. And um, it's kind of different to like backing like three or four guys that are are working on like a fun project sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and then, and like you said, once you once you start taking the moonshots for companies that you're you're kind of disconnected from and just. Kind of, a, kind of a lottery ticket. Then it just become, It's really just becomes a money game. I mean, it's fun to try to pick winners, but it's not that fun to be unemotionally involved in in these companies. You know, it's mm. it's like investing in any type of, of stocks. It's for people that are are so used to building and creating things. I think it it um it's a lot less interesting to actually fill the void of being your own. You know, to, to creating your own business that adds value in the world. You know, if you have one business like that, it takes maybe 300 small, you know, passive investments to try to even get the type of joy out of it, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So <laughs> Yeah. So why do you, why do
2: you do it personally? Like like what what are you trying to get out of it? Well, Other than obviously for, more money.
1: It, it, I mean, for me it was it was exactly what I, um, the, the issue I just like described was trying to fill the void. So when we sold the business, I was used to having an office with 80 people in it, being the center of of kind of the universe and the needs for that business. Yeah, you know, waking up every day having 150 emails that I have to that all need attention and all these meetings that that need to be held. And then when we sold the business, it was like the light switch was on, and the next day the light switch was off. Like my email was disconnected, Hmm. no one needed me. And you know, you expect you expect to still be needed, right? Yeah, you don't expect a company to just come in and take over and um and be able to. To completely like assimilate and, and integrate it into what they have, but what I, I just underestimated the the clout of a big tobacco company, right like mm. they have you know all these executives with thirty plus years of experience, and they just took it and totally integrated it into what they had and um, it was It was a huge void for me, so I immediately rushed into to trying to figure out how to fill that void right yeah. Um, Imagine like if all of your imagine if your collection of of everything that you had was just acquired tomorrow, and you wake up and you you had, literally have nothing to do. You, you sort of like rush into trying to fill that void because, you know, sitting on a beach and 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 skateboarding and doing whatever you like to do as a hobby, it just doesn't fill. It doesn't fill the the void of yeah of running a business.
2: Yeah, is it also because you sort of look up to other like startup investors that that you know were entrepreneurs. Had their exit and then sort of went into investing as opposed to going back into starting something else by themselves.
1: I, I, that's never really like appealed to me. There's so many people out there doing it, and I don't think it's it's that cool. The one side of it that I do like is uh, I like to to help people win, and mm. people that really people that really want to work hard and build something inspire me because they remind me of myself when I was you know 18 and yeah. listening to rap music and trying to figure out how I can you know make a dollar in this world, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. When I meet people like uh, like I invested in this startup company in Singapore called Glint, and it's these these 22 year old guys that they started the company when they were younger. They all got into Ivy League schools in the U.S. like Stanford, Wharton. I mean, the best schools in the U.S. And they had this little startup, and they're like, you know what? Screw it. They, they went to the U.S. to go to school, and they're like, now we want to do the startup full time, and they dropped out of all these Ivy League schools, moved yeah. back to Singapore to, to like. Run this business that had essentially no capital, and I was just so inspired by it. I'm like, how can you not want to be a part of that again? You know, so there's there are those 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 instances that they just they inspire you, and like it's great to live inspired, right? I mean, that's that's why we get up in the morning and yeah, and uh, love Monday mornings and coffees better than you know Saturday afternoons with a. Uh, with beers, but yeah, exactly. That might, exactly. Be. That might yeah. be a totally fair statement, but <laughs> no,
2: I I think it's true. It's it's a, but, but that's what I worry about. Like, I think you know, that I've had opportunities to, um, you know, put money into projects, and I think it's, I don't think it's going to be interesting enough for me. I think I need to actually be in it because, because this is like, it's this is just my life. Like, other than other than kids, you know, this is just running businesses is just like it's what I think about twenty four seven.
1: Yeah, well, I think you have such such a an immense um. Pff, just clout in, in in startup networks and business networks that if you ever wanted to go, you know, full-time into this or were kind of like investing advising, I mean, there's just so many people that would love to have you part of their company, but you have your hands full, my man. You definitely have <laughs> your hands full, so.
2: Well, I, I said this year I was not going to start any new projects and <coughs> the, only thing I am, the only thing I am doing is we're doing an event, we're going to do an event with my girlfriend, um, who's got the Merrymaker Sisters, and they've sort of got their own audience, which is like mm-hmm. online bloggers and stuff. And I've got my, my kind of online marketing, sort of self-funded startup audience. So we're going to do an event next year on the Gold Coast. Um, nice. But other than that, I've managed to get this far into the year without starting anything new.
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that t- kind of takes us into Black Ops. Like, what an awesome business. And that was always like a dream of yours, wasn't it?
2: Oh, w- well, to, to be honest, like me and Eddie had like got into the craft beer scene and we mm-hmm. just learned about it. The, the, Australia's a long way behind the U S like this was probably maybe three or four years ago. He, he was working at Burley brewing, which is a local brewery. And I just like, I, I've always enjoyed beer, but we just like got so deep in it. That we just started drinking all these different beers, like inspired by the mm-hmm. beers that they make over in the U S. Right. Um, and, and we, we sort of just started becoming part of that community, probably Eddie a little bit more than me just because, um, you know, i got so many other shit going on, but, we we sort of be- became part of that like craft beer community, and we'd thought about what we could do. We'd talked about opening a bar, and he 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 was keen to open a bar. I wasn't keen because I just I just don't like that business. Mm-hmm. Um, although <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens with Black Ops. And- <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it's much cooler when you're selling your own product. Yeah, than, uh, Anheuser yeah. Busch right? or Foster's.
2: <laughs> yeah, but this but this um but it also a bar just like it's it's just kind of. It has to be cool at the time, and it's so they're so up and down. They're closing all the time, and and you limit you're so limited to how much you know how big and impactful it can be. It's, it's just not that interesting to me. Mm. Um, but when this this idea came up, we met we met um, Goves at, at a bar, and he was a brewer at the time. We knew him; we'd known him for years. Um, but we just decided to brew a homebrew beer ourselves. And I think because it was quite funny because I think I think if I, it was just kind of fortunate that I was there because. Like they they said, okay, we're going to brew this beer, and I came along. And once we did that, I'm like, I've uh, just been brainstorming some names, and I just I just just bought a domain name. I just designed a little label just in case. <laughs> um, and before we knew it, we had like packaging. We had like our beer, Black Ops. Um, this home brew just in bottles. We'd sent it out to a bunch of brew a uh, bunch of bloggers, and people were writing about us. People were like following us on social media and asking us when we we're going to open and all this kind of shit. So. Um, that, was,
1: that, was, that was the best Google font brand that I think has ever uh, been yeah. created. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so that, that served us pretty well. Um, so what, how do
1: you actually describe, like a, when you say homebrew, so like you were actually brewing beers in your home and bottling them?
2: Yeah, f- just for that first batch. But to be honest, like, like brewing is like, if you know how to do it, it's, the, the equipment difference is not that much between something you brew in your garage and something you brew on a really big scale. Mm -hmm. um the equipment is is more or less the same like the setup gov's had for brewing at home is it's you know technically the same sort of thing that we have now except that this our system can hold like four thousand liters at once and his system can hold 50 liters at once um
1: so so this the the whole thing started with like basically a conversation with you guys and then gov's already had his own like homebrew setup and you're like oh i kind of want to just create a quick like brand and bottle something so like the actual investment to get going was um, was very negligible,
2: right? Well, at that point it was zero, and then and then once people and, and and it was it was never a conversation like we want to start a brand. It was literally like Eddie's like we should make this eggnog stout. It sounds like that'd be an interesting idea for a beer. Um, and guys God, like, me, cool,
1: I, what what does that taste like? I, like I'm so intrigued by that. The first <laughs> time I saw it, I was like, I gotta have this. And everywhere I go, I see oatmeal stouts, but I've oh, never yeah. seen an egg. I've never seen an eggnog stout.
2: Well, it's it's. It's just the eggnog flavors so it's like nutmeg and cinnamon and brandy and vanilla. It just kind of it's a stout that smells kind of like eggnog but tastes like it just tastes like a nice beer. Yeah. Um, so if,
1: if if you could drink like as a comparison if you could drink 2 pints of Guinness without feeling Bloated. How many eggnog stouts can you drink?
2: That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll put that to the test when you come over. <laughs> oh
1: God. I'll start preparing while I'm in Singapore with, with burgers and, uh, and and stouts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So is that like, what's, what's your best selling beer right now?
2: Well, so we, because, because we're not brewing on site here yet, hopefully we will be next week. Um, we're, we're selling beer outside of here, but only kind of in quantities that aren't really enough to tell like what the best-selling beer will be. It'll be good Mm -hmm. when we open because we've got a tasting room downstairs with eight taps on and people will buy what they want to buy and it'll be interesting to see what sells. But we've got another one called Beach House, which is um, sort of like a Gold Coast take on a beer called Farmhouse, which is a a Saison. It's like a Belgian style beer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one's been really popular. Um, And then we've done quite well with like our specialty beers at at events and awards. We just came ninth in a... um, big beer conference in melbourne with a, a trifle pale ale so literally nice. like a pale ale with cake and sherry and airplane jelly and all kinds of crazy shit.
1: god that is <laughs> wild
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so so what like when you guys started uh, with the home brew, your investment in the, in the company at that point was basically zero right you just you just started brewing some beers bottling it whipped up a quick logo and then things just started to happen around it
2: yeah, so it was zero at that point. and And to be honest, I think I was the only person thinking about actually turning it into a business. I think we, I think Eddie and Gus were just kind of making the beer, and I'm like, well, we might as well you know, put a nice-looking label on it. And since we've got a label, we might as well register the domain name. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we're like, just... well, we've got this beer with labels. We might as well give it out to a couple of people in the industry and see if they like it. Um, uh. And yeah, b- before too long, people were asking when we are doing our commercial batch, and that was... <laughs> I think it cost. I think we all put in about two grand to do the commercial batch at someone else's brewery. So I think it cost maybe like five grand to do it. And um, so that's
1: just that's just you going to another brewer saying, "Here's here's kind of the ingredients list. Here's the type of like, the flavor that we want to make," and and you just contract them to make. X well, no, of no, we
2: we pretty much made it. Like because Gov's, Govs is a at the time was a, a professional brewer at a, at a much bigger brewery than the one we went to. So he he knew how to make beer. You know, arguably as well as if not better than the guy we were going with. Um, um, So so there was no, like, there was no, like, we need someone else to make it. Like, I was just well and truly mm-hmm. able to make it, but we just needed the the equipment, really. The equipment. Um, yeah, gotcha. And the guy was great, too. Like, he, he helped us out, and and it worked really well. But it, it, it didn't cost too much money. And, and that money, like, we sold that beer before we'd made it and made all that money back straight away. Yeah, so
1: you're, sorry, so you are able to make money on that, or was, it like, the cost of doing it so high that it was just to get to get the product out there?
2: Yeah, basically just covering costs. So so we, we sort of got our money back, and we kept doing that. We, we did another batch at a different brewery. Um, and we've kept doing that contract brewing, not really making any money on it. I mean, once you, once you add in all the expenses and, and everything else, you're not really making any money. But what it's done is enabled us to get our beer out there. And we've, we've, we're now an award-winning brewery. We've, mm. um, we've got bronze medals at uh, recent awards. We've got beer on all around town. And we still haven't brewed a beer here. So it's a pretty good head start for not having to spend a lot of money.
1: <laughs> well, you have some really beautiful equipment, though, I'll tell you that much.
2: Yeah, well we're very much looking forward to using it.
1: <laughs> so then at, at what point were you guys like all right this is a this is a business that we're going to move forward with and figuring out how much it was going to cost to get started and alongside with that that you wanted to raise the money to actually to fund that or at least partially fund that.
2: Yeah, well so th- there was just a lot of shit going on at the time. There was um I had my business which was going well um but I was also, I was also going for a divorce, so I, I didn't have access to lots of money and I didn't really know how much money I was going to have. Um, so that was a challenge. So I could only put a certain amount of money in. Eddie was going through a redundancy at his work and he was sort of waiting around to get that payment. And when he got that, he had the money. But then Govs could couldn't get money together. So, so really that was the reason. So, so we just guessed more or less how much it was going to cost to open. You know, we got quotes on everything. We estimated everything we could. But, you know, it w- w- turns out we needed more than, than we thought we would need. Um, as as,
1: all th- as yeah. pretty much starting any business right
2: yeah yeah uh, but yeah. um yeah we, we literally just me and eddie didn't have enough money ourselves and so so we needed to get money from elsewhere but we also sort of thought this is just the kind of business that it's it's it's, it's going to be a difficult business to bootstrap it's 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 just one of those businesses it's not like mm-hmm. doing an online membership they're just they're costs involved yeah and you need to have decent financial setup and you need to have money and cash flow and you know if we'd put all of our money in and no one had access to anything as as we've discovered we would have been screwed because mm-hmm. we because it turns out we needed more than, than we got so that was sort of the reasons um but but we hadn't actually out of all my sort of time in the startup world I'd, i've never had a business that has got investment before i'd always mm-hmm. just put my own money in or, or started businesses that didn't require any money more to the point so yeah, it was it was just again just learning. It was like fuck, how do we do this? Getting get on Google, um, put a pitch deck together, start talking to people, um, and ended up ended up I think the, the, because of the traction we were getting, the attention we were getting, it it wasn't our biggest challenge by any means finding people to put money in, which which is good. That might not be the case for everyone, but I think because we've been good at building the brand and getting the attention out there, that that we, there was a lot of people who knew what we we're doing already and and sort of. Could see that it would be a cool project to be involved with.
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's so many people out there that are that fall exactly into that that category of being an entrepreneur with their own business, but they've never they've never been on either side of funding. They never raised money, and they've also never invested. So I think that whole that whole process is, in a lot of ways, it's it's quite simple if you have you know friends and family, but to a lot of people, it's it's extremely complex and and uh, and kind of ambiguous. So yeah. did you take us a little so how, like how much time did that actually take from the point where're like all right we need to get cash like let's start a pitch deck and until you had verbal agreements from investors
2: It wasn't a lot of time to be honest it was really we only we, we met with a couple of different people um, we probably i think we, we kind of we didn't announce it as such, but we kind of made it obvious that we were sort of looking around for people to to help us out. We had a couple of meetings we probably had three or four meetings with different people but but we, we we really just needed the right person. We had a couple of meetings that just didn't feel right. It just didn't. It just wasn't going to be good to have that person as an investor. Right. Um. So like that was really the only time it took. Once once we kind of found the people we wanted, it didn't really take too much time. And 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 I think that's again just because we had the attention already. I think like entrepreneurs, if you're going to start a business, you, you need some way of getting attention, and you need to have someone on your team who's able to to kind of at least make it look like what you're doing is legit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people could see what we're doing. We're legit. Like we had a good team. We had a marketing guy, a guy who did sales, and a guy who's who's won awards brewing beer. Um, and so it, it all, you know, and we had a lot of traction. We had like you know good ratings, and we had like a good brand and a lot of press, and like it all looked really legitimate because we were able to get to to basically execute well. So I think if people are able to do that, then you know people then then want to be part of it. It's the same with the crowdfunding. We did the crowdfunding. Stuff as well. It's the same thing. It, like people can look at it and see that it looks legit, and then they they trust it a lot more.
1: Yeah, de- absolutely. I, I mean, the, the first time that I even heard of what you guys were doing and saw your brand, I immediately was like, I want to be part of this. <laughs> and I mean, you being involved, obviously, I thought the brand was great. And I had also just recently spent quite quite a bit of time in Tampa, Florida, and in California, which are the well, California, Southern California, and Tampa are the two biggest. Microbrewing areas in the United States and what's happening over there is just incredible you're going over to, to when's the last time you're in the U.S. Dan
2: I've never been to the U.S. I've only oh, ever geez. been to, as far as Hawaii so I'm looking oh, forward God. to it
1: yeah I mean it's incredible what's going on over there all the cities you know San Diego LA San Francisco there uh, San Francisco maybe not might be too expensive but you know, these places have microbreweries literally like taking over and it's making beer drinking acceptable at all hours of the day. <laughs> whereas, like, before, you know, like before you go out and you have you're drinking, uh, I guess the equivalent of Foster's in Australia would be Budweiser in the US. If you're out in, uh, you know, 2000, year 2000 drinking a beer at lunch, you're probably seen as like some alcoholic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But if you're out drinking a craft beer now um or hanging out a microbrewery in you know for lunch, you're cool and you're hip and you're you're probably successful.
2: Yeah. So
1: it's it's I don't know what the I don't know what the rate of change is, but I, I think I wanna say that traditional beers like Budweiser are declining at like between like eight to ten percent a year, but craft beer is growing at like thirty five percent a year in, in the US. It's like it's going crazy.
2: Yeah, we were very conscious of what was happening in the US and and um also there's parts of Australia where it's, it's also going off, not to the same extent, but like you go down to Melbourne and I mean, Melbourne's just one of those cities where like everything cool is in Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. So they're always sort of going to be first, but where we are on the Gold Coast, there's just really not much here. Like like where we are, where literally you can walk from the beach, walk past three or four coffee shops, come in here and have a beer and there's, there's literally nothing like that on the Gold Coast. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's going to they- be a lot of competition because a lot of people are going to, figure out that it's an exciting industry to be in but right now it's it's i think we're reasonably early
1: yeah and are, are the big beer manufacturers in australia starting to get involved at uh, in, in any level of of microbrewing or craft beers
2: yeah so so they're doing they typically do two things that they'll either bring out a range of beers that look like craft beers and are called craft beers and they're kind of like custom illustrated with crafty sort of names but they mm-hmm. tend to taste pretty shitty and Really, are just them trying to get in on that market? Or the other thing is that they've, that they've there's precedent for them buying businesses. Like there's there's a couple of breweries that started started you know quite a while ago that grew significant and have been bought out like that. There's plenty of that going on.
1: Yeah, so those. Have you heard of Ballast Point?
2: Yeah, I, I've got. We actually just got in Australia right now. We started getting their beers.
1: Oh man, you know how much they sold for? Like a billion. I not Yeah, a billion dollars, yeah. right? I mean, that was on, like, because everyone thought of microbreweries as these, like, little local bars, pretty much, you know, yeah. but the it, I don't know what the, how, how high the multiple was on that, but, I mean, they must have either had some serious distribution or... i I mean that's just that's a lot of money that's that's the type of valuations you hear in like silicon valley for you know excessively hyper growth uh startup company yeah yeah software companies i don't know
2: i know like stone i think do about 150 million a year and then they're not not the biggest um Mm. but but they're pretty big
1: yeah they're big they're in asia they're in um they're in Thailand quite a bit.
2: Yeah, yep. They're here too now. They, they, they send their beer here. But the Australian market's nowhere near that big. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of breweries that have started in Australia and expanded overseas either. So I, I don't actually really know if there's a good reason for that. But um. it's
1: You know, like Hong Kong and Singapore surprise me because Singapore is such a big drinking city. And everywhere I've gone out here, there's, there's no craft beer. There, there's like maybe um, – actually, last night I had a, a dog Punk i p a yeah um I guess they're they're one of the bigger international ones now, yeah, but you know everything here is still like tiger beer, heineken corona, it's so boring that yeah.
2: well, you know you, you it, might need it, to it, know where to go like i I know in hong kong i've I've drunk at a couple of like dedicated craft beer bars there,
1: yeah, yeah, um, Hong Kong's definitely getting better um Singapore seems to be behind the ball. In, in Thailand, it's, it's hard as well. But because the beer market there is controlled by like one company, right?
2: Yeah. Well, so- it's funny. I was, I was in um, the Philippines a year ago at, in Cebu, literally like at a resort, at, speaking at an event. Mm-hmm. And at this uh, resort, at the bar there, they had Australian craft beer on tap. They had a Holgate on tap, which was... I was like, shit, that's kind of surprising.
1: Philippines is making some moves, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll have black hops all over Southeast Asia, so never have to uh, never have to drink a Tiger beer again. But yeah, when uh, when you guys like decided to to take investment, how did you come up with a valuation?
2: Oh well, this this was so tricky. Like, so, so so we obviously had no we had no revenue, we had no experience knowing how much something was worth. The, the only thing honestly that we had was, I just. I just know how difficult it is to build a brand and um I I value what we built early because I know that you know I've started so many businesses that just haven't been able to get anyone's attention mm-hmm. and this one just had traction from day 1 and and I and I've been lucky enough that I've started a couple of businesses where that's been the case L- like the book like it's just it's not something you predict but if if people start talking about it and people start sharing it um it's kind of a rare thing, so that's worth something I think and, and peop you know people spend their lives in business trying to get attention or paying for attention that they can 't get with some of the projects we've done for free um so that's that's you know I valued it for that reason, for the brand, I think, and for the the group of guys that were involved in it um mm-hmm. and and we literally we literally just thought about it and came up with a number that we thought was reasonable and started talking about that number with other people and no one really argued um. Actually, except for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, yeah, I, it's it's really hard. I think it's. It, I I thought it was reasonable, but I also thought like I didn't want to sell equity for for something unless I thought we were getting a reasonably good deal because I I value it too highly. I think what we've got is good, and and I don't want to you know get rid of it for nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: But I don't know. Is there is there a better way to do it? Like, I don't know.
1: It's it's it's. It's a very comp. I mean, it's it's a little bit different. I feel like with a business in brewing, because once you're you have like heavy setup costs, but once you're set up, like you should be generating cash, right? Yeah. And it's maybe not easy to project that cash flow, but you can get kind of a range that you know you're probably going to fall within. Yeah. You know, and so much of the other stuff that we're involved with, or or is being produced in our network it's really, really difficult to have any type of projections. You know, things could, of course, like if you're building some type of like digital platform or software, like, you know, things could blow up and and go exponential and you might have significantly shortage of projections, but it could also be, you you might not ever make a dollar, right? And some of the things we're doing. So it's just interesting to try to put valuations on, on more of like a cash flow type of business compared to like the polar opposite end of of things that we see in, in software.
2: Yeah, I think the I mean, I think once you're established and you've got revenue and profit and you know what your margins are, I think you can use a multiple and it kind of makes sense. But anything in between is really difficult. Even with WP Curve, we've we've had like companies kind of reach out to us about potentially partnering or acquiring us or even investing. And I honestly think it comes down to the entrepreneur a lot. Like I think a lot of people undervalue what they've got. Like I've seen I've seen people do uh like equity crowdfunding for breweries that that are really established they've got really good brands um and and they're valued at like one and a half million dollars and i think like surely it's worth more than that like good luck trying to start that again with one and a half million dollars trying to get that same distribution and that same brand recognition um i think people people undervalue like that that kind of stuff
1: yeah um, so it's like it's uh you, you always hear these stories of people like a, a business is going to be acquired and it's always the business is like, name, name your price, and the, and the entrepreneur, or the business is like, you name your price, right? <laughs> because you never know what the range is. The range could be like, you know, in a, in a business like you just said, with a value, they're saying a value is like 1.1 million, you know, the value to the entrepreneur might be 500 grand, the value to the buyer might be 10 million, you know? It, d- yeah. it depends totally how it, it could affect either person. Um,
2: yeah. And, and it's and, like, and, no and one the-
1: wants to make a move first, right?
2: and also like d- depending on who the acquirer is like that can have a big impl- impact on what they value like with WP Curve for example like again for me like i think it's our brand that is, is what our brand is is what's kind of different to other companies like like a lot of people have heard of WP Curve in in the WordPress sort of space and that to me is what makes it valuable but yeah. if you're talking to a big company that literally just wants to buy you for the team um, and they just want they just want the staff, then like that brand to them is worth zero, and the content that you 've put out and the SEO rankings and all of that is probably worth zero um, but but if you 're talking to someone who wants to actually take the business over and run it, then all that stuff is worth a lot more
1: yeah i think it's it 's really important in in these type of situations to always seek third party advice as, as much as you can because people with outside perspectives will have a different viewpoint i 'll give you the one example like when we when we sold our business in um in Britain, we were really concerned about negotiating because we didn't want to we didn't want to lose the deal but what we didn't realize is it, we were getting bought by a public company that was going from a domestic company they're acquiring us internationally, which was basically saying this domestic company is now going international to the public right yeah and when when they bought us, their stock over the next two weeks appreciated twenty five percent which was which equated to many billions of dollars, right? Shit. So, so oh. by by what they paid us was a drop in the bucket, and they knew that, right? But we didn't, we didn't, knew, we didn't know that. Mm. Um, and it, had we had we known that, we could have, we could have likely negotiated for even more. And one more example: a company that I was previously involved with way back when they sold uh, 2013. And it was the same type of thing. They got offered something. That they didn't want to push back because they thought, well, if we push back too hard, they might just buy our competitor, yeah, um, or they might just get turned off and not want to work with us, right? So they they didn't push back. They got acquired for I forget what the price was, and then immediately this company that acquired them went to go buy their their part uh, their one of their competitors, and they were part of kind of negotiating that deal. And their competitor push, who had smaller revenue, smaller team, less traction, pushed back really hard and got three times the multiple that this other company got. And these guys are literally just like, you know, it's a story of, um, you know, the Victoria's Secret guy. He sold his company for like four million dollars, and then the next year, like Victoria's Secret was valued at five hundred (laughs) million dollars, and he and he he jumped off he jumped off a bridge. He killed himself. Oh god. And I, I, you know, you got to believe that. This is what these other people went through. When you see it happen like that, and you are like, "All I had to do is probably push back a little bit, and I might have gotten two or three times the money." But yeah, you can never you can never know for sure, right?
2: I think like it's it's like if you are going to be an entrepreneur, like both when you are starting and when you are exiting a business, like it's it's. I think it's it's generally falls back to you. It's 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 like if you if you look at those examples where like Zuckerberg you know, refused to sell Facebook for a billion dollars or whatever it was. And, and, and the Snapchat guy is another perfect example. Like, they tried to buy Snapchat, I think, for $3 billion when it was, like, seemingly, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're, and they're just like, no, nah, no, nah, we think it's worth a lot more than that. And in hindsight, it's worth a fuckload more than that. Um, it's insane. And, but, insane. But, it, but it's down to the entrepreneur. And, like, I think when when Zuckerberg turned that down as at... God knows what age he was. He's was probably twenty three or something crazy.
1: I think we were in college when yeah. when that happened, and everyone was like, "This guy is a maniac." He yeah. took, we turned down one, and then he turned down fifteen.
2: Yeah, and but in hindsight, you know, he was right, and I think I think that's what being an entrepreneur is, is all about. It's like the, like the investors are never going to know your business as well as you are, and I think like it's like it's like what you said. Like I would be really reluctant to sell a business unless I'm going to get a lot of money for it because. I think there's so much that you would go through doing that and um, I think it almost needs to be life changing if it's something you've put so much into. It almost it almost needs to be a life changing amount of money for it to be really worth it.
1: hmm Yeah, it's I can only only say from my experience, but we were talking about this last night when we we're um, uh, one of our, our business's co workers starting to to grow and get traction and we're we were sitting around having drinks last night with like a proper team, you know, where for so long it's been kind of disconnected with me in one location, Leanne in another location. Now, like we're sitting in Singapore together. We have Ben, our our great intern, and we're sitting there having drinks, talking about the growth of the business. And we're like, you know, this is what it's all about. It's like trying to put together this jigsaw puzzle and build something from a paper concept into a real business. That's the thrill Mm -hmm. of it. And, you know, one day, you know, if there's a liquidity exit, that's, um or liquidity event that's that's great but you'll look back and say oh like there's there was very little joy in actually getting to that getting making that exit all the joy was 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 getting there getting to that point and and achieving things together so
2: yeah and i think it it also helps if i'm humble when it comes to starting businesses because i've started so many that have just completely failed um Mm -hmm. that when when i do start something that goes well like i really value that and i think um it's good. I think it is good in a way if you've got people involved with projects that have you know, had a lot of failures before and they can just, they really value when something is going well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you value what you've got, then you're much less likely to sell it for a small amount of money. Um, but yeah, but with, I mean, with the Black Ops, so, so the original getting the, the money seemed to go all perfectly smoothly. But then, as you know, recently we've figured out that we can't open with the amount of money we had. So we then had to go back. And put more money in and, and get more you know i guess another round um, mm-hmm. which is which which was more difficult than the first time, I think because it's it's like with with this second round it's like no one wins really right um and and that's been really challenging because like like we all we all want to be open, but we just we ran into a few problems and we couldn't, so therefore we just had no choice but to get more money, and then we kind of find ourselves in a situation where. You know, Guvs doesn't own as much as we'd like them to own. Me and Eddie are putting more money in, but getting actually our equi- equity reduced at the same right. time. You know, and, and other investors who can't put money in are getting diluted. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's almost like a, a more difficult experience than, than first getting the money together in the first place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like, what, what is that? As an entrepreneur raising money, how, what, have, what have you kind of learned from that experience? Or is there anything that you would have done different at the get-go?
2: I think there is. I mean, I think the one thing we would have done different for this particular – and we're talking about pretty small amounts of money here. I mean, if you compare it to big mm-hmm. startups, but, but for us and for everyone involved, it's kind of like all the money they have. Um, yeah. So I think, I think we got really – which is probably a lesson for any business, nothing to do with investing, but I think we, we got bitten by trying to save money. And I think as a result of trying to save, you know, especially with this situation with the boiler, with the last piece, piece of equipment – Mm-hmm. um i think as a result of trying to save money we actually end up spending a lot more money than we would have had to
1: uh, um, so because what it t- it took extra time and then time cost money yeah
2: yeah and so i think if i think at, at the time you know if we thought okay if you could start a brewery for 350 grand or whatever then that that'd be great but you know if we had a million we could probably start a, a brewery a lot quicker and probably you know make less compromises and and run less risks with equipment and stuff like that. Um, so, in hindsight, if if I was to do it again, I've, I've I've just always been the sort of person to do it for as little as possible, and always kind of believe that it's going to work. But unfortunately, this time I wasn't right. <laughs> and,
1: uh, <laughs> well, I don't think you're. Too, I don't think you're too far off. I mean, c- considering like everything that we kind of grew up knowing was was to bootstrap, right? Yeah. And you mentioned you would never taken an investment before. All, all through through the last 12 years of things I've done I've never t- well, for uh, the business in UK we took a $50,000 loan but uh, I I hardly consider that raising capital so this is like all new territory for us right yeah so I, I mean I think I I definitely understand like that maybe this this last round was was unforeseeable and and not the best situation but I think you know I think you guys have done a, a good job and you know what you're two weeks away from opening or a few weeks away from opening,
2: yeah, yeah it'll, I mean once we open, I'm sure it'll all be you know it'll just be a good story and 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 we'll all be good, and we'll push ahead, but yeah, I think I just think that's saving money for like like normally, I'm like you know you do everything yourself, but when, when you do a project like this, there's just so many moving parts, you can't do it all yourself um you can use mates for stuff, but often when you use mates for things, you end up compromising and you, know, you know there's so many situations where we've made you know fifty phone calls to get something done you know to save five hundred bucks when we could have just mm-hmm. got in a professional if we had the 500 bucks sitting there and um i think this is probably the last time i'll do a project where we we're really not sure if we have enough money and we'd we're, we're we're having to compromise on absolutely everything and mm-hmm. um i there were, there were honestly were just some things i i just wasn't prepared to compromise on like for example the the branding the decals um the like the quality of finish on the cellar door like there were things where i 'm like, you know we can do this ourselves, but it 's just not actually good enough like we need to present something to the market that looks like a brand that is competing with the best in the world, so there 's only so much you you can compromise and save money to do that so yeah it's been, it's been like it 's been a bit of a challenge, but it'll it'll all be gone once we 're open i'm sure
1: yeah nice and then w- like w- was there any struggles in terms of once you got the commitments for the money and you were raising um, you had the verbal commitments in terms of like the paperwork i think that's another kind of ambiguous point of structuring businesses and and raising money was that a fairly simple process for you guys to go through and find an attorney to be able to handle that
2: it was fairly simple but it you know i think it it helped that i like i i haven't done this before but i have some idea of how this stuff works so i think that helps i don't eddie and Gov's like literally wouldn't have had a clue so so that that has helped and not to talk them yeah. down it's just that they, they've never even had a business before um yeah so I think that helps a little bit, but yeah, there was expenses from the lawyer that we didn't enjoy too much, um, but the process was pretty straightforward. We've actually got an accountant now who's who's you know really accessible and gives a really good deal, and he's, uh I've helped them out a lot with their business, so it's that works works pretty well. well-
1: well soon you're going to be able to barter beers for services which is going to oh, be amazing. Oh don't worry.
2: there's been plenty of that. <laughs> we owe a lot of strong, people the, favors.
1: <laughs> the world's strongest currency is yeah. a, a pint of IPA. <laughs> yeah. So man I really appreciate appreciate you coming on the show. It's been uh it's gr- been great to catch up in general and um so much, so much to gain from your experiences as an entrepreneur, now a brewer, um, and someone who's, who's gone from kind of bootstrapping to raising money and, and creating a really, really impressive brand and something that's going to be a lot of fun to be part of um, on any level as a customer, uh, definitely as a, um, a shareholder, an investor, and for you as a, as a co-founder. So congratulations and really appreciate you sharing your experience with us
2: yeah anytime thanks and thanks for your support and and obviously i'm following everything you do it's really inspirational as well so yeah thanks for having me
1: yeah thanks for that man is there any uh any other ways for people if they want to get in contact with you um we'll leave some details on the show notes about uh connecting with dan and um you know your books and all that stuff
2: yeah just uh, any of the social media platforms if you just search for dan norris i'll be on those um if you if you're listening to podcasts The brewery actually has one called Operation Brewery, and we do like a 10-part series going from when we started to when we finished. And the first episode is all about us raising money. And so that's an interesting one for people to check out if they're into podcasts.
1: Sweet. We'll be sure to include it in the show notes. So Dan, thanks again, man. And we will catch up soon. Thanks, mate. All
0: right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Invest Like a Boss. Uh, I wanted to just say a big thank you to everyone who's left the reviews and let's actually read a couple of the reviews and choose uh, our first winner uh, for, the, for, the, for the month.
1: So for number one, we have Paul Lipsky. I just finished listening to the episode and loved it. I really enjoy how straightforward and easy to understand this advice is. I can't tell you how frustrated I got listening to other investing podcasts that use all sorts of language I didn't understand. Invest Like a Boss is easy to understand and has ideas that are easy to implement. Five stars. Then we have from Mitgo. Mitgo says, "Love to set up, love to set up the show. Johnny and Sam are both naturals on the mic and very easy to listen to. They provide really great content for both beginners and have a small amount of money to play with." the bigger investors who may have access to larger sums of money. We'll continue to listen to this.
0: From Loser Escape, I met Johnny FD in Chiang Mai at the Digital Nomad Summit, and he founded, and it blew my mind to see so many young entrepreneurs just rocking it. I wanted Johnny to advise me, but he was so busy making his own wealth that the cost was just outside my range. Now, he's giving away the information for free. Don't miss out on this opportunity. And last but not least, we have uh, who I think we're going to select for this week's winner uh well this month's winner um actually no let's do this because we're launching the 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 podcast is brand new so excited to get this ball rolling uh instead of just giving away one gift card per month uh let's just go ahead and give away one every single week for this for this first month and you know that way like we can, you know really get the ball rolling really get excited and for the first one what we're gonna do is we're not even gonna so for all the all the future ones we're gonna pull a random review out of a hat right? uh a virtual hat so it's gonna be completely random and it doesn't matter if you are uh reviewing it in the u.s store or the uh canadian store australian store as long as it's on iTunes and you uh, take a screenshot of the review and just send it in, we'll, we'll go ahead and hook you up with a $25 gift card uh, for Amazon of, of your country. So you can spend it in you know the, the Canadian store, and the UK store, the Australian store, whatever it is. Uh, but for this first week, I think it'd be cool just to give it to the person who took the time first and just jumped the gun and said, You know what? I'm going to be the first one to hop on the iTunes store. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to give uh, Invest Like a Boss a the very first review ever, so big thank you uh, to our first winner, Trevor Fenner. Uh, Thanks, Trevor. (laughs) He gave a five-star review, and he said, these guys really know what they're talking about. The conversational style makes it fun and easy to listen to, perfect for the commute, or while doing work on the computer. Thanks for making an amazing podcast, guys. Fantastic, so, almost like thank, we wrote it yeah.
1: ourselves. it's so good. <laughs> and, thanks, and thanks again for everyone else, and really looking forward to giving this away on a weekly level, good idea, Johnny.
0: Yeah, so I think it's gonna be fun, so if you guys haven't taken the time to leave a review yet in the iTunes store, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click bonus, and you can get step-by-step instructions. We, we took screenshots of the whole process, because I know iTunes is a little of a pain in the butt, but it helps more than you know, so really appreciate it, you guys. All right, see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If
1: you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.